Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. They haven't won a World Series in a century or so. So what? They're here. Every April, they're here. The 105 or 705, there is a game. If it gets rained out, guess what? They make it up to you. Does anyone else in your life do that? It's time for Hit and Run. Don't try to strike everybody out. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascists. Throw some ground ball. It's more democratic. Cubs and White Sox conversation every Sunday morning till Cubs first pitch. Any bet against my Sox this series is a sucker bet. Of course, I'm not a gambling man. Hosted by Matt Spiegel. I want the absolute truth here. Are you 100%? Yeah, well, about something like that you better you want to make this team connecting with you the baseball fanatic there's no crying in baseball no crying hit and run on sports radio 670 the score 670 the score.com and the radio.com app i'm gonna be honest with you um there may be crying in baseball there there may be crying after that particular cubs loss as you see the uh, division lead for the Cardinals grow back to three and a half. As you see, the lead for the second wild card dwindle down to a game and a half over the surging Arizona freaking Diamondbacks. As you get news of the hairline fracture in the thumb of Javier Baez. As you see you Darvish pitch brilliantly but be limited to 72 pitches over five innings because you don't want him to feel that forearm tightness again and miss another start in the three-week sprint. Uh, As you watch various people come out of that bullpen and uh, lead to, at least in my case, turning to my wife and saying, what the hell is he doing in this game? What What is David Phelps doing? Why is he in this game? And then she tweeted about it, and I retweeted her as I, I couldn't stay off. Oh, my God. As you see all those things happen, as you realize that the season has more than a hairline fracture, it, it, it's, it's, it's more than that. They're not toast, but, boy, it's an ugly moment. Good morning, everybody. It's Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run. On 670, the score. You can text me at 670-11. You can dial it up at 312-644-6767. As you watch Addison Russell make three throwing errors in three consecutive games. And this one allowed Christian Yelich to even come up to the plate. He, he might not have even come up to the plate in that crucial ninth inning. And you see Yelich do his thing as the best player on either team. Again, and the guy who the other night, you realize what Yelich did two nights ago, he had reached base five times, okay, including the go-ahead three-run homer off of uh, Cole Hamels, excuse me, on, on base four times on Friday, just four. Then yesterday, last night, on base five times, 
And his manager, Craig Council, after the game says that was the best game he's ever seen Christian Yelich have. He stole three bases, every one of them giving his team a chance to score runs in those innings. He accepted his walks being pitched around. Pitching changes are made because of him. In Joe Madden's mind, David Phelps is out there to pitch to Yasmani Grandal because Derek Holland is then going to come in to Christian Yelich, and then it's going to be Rowan Wick for a four-out save. That apparently was the plan after the game. That is an insane and ambitious plan, if you ask me. David Phelps? Come on. Pitch one, Yasmani Grandal. Go boom, and you've got, uh, you got a tie ball game. But look, there's so many big-picture things that make the single-loss minutia feel almost silly today. We will engage in both with you. Dial it up at 312-644-6767. Why did this happen? Why does that happen? How is Wilson Contreras, who was absolutely brilliant for his first two games back, hitting six for eight, hitting everything hard, how does he have no at-bats in two games since? How, how do you do that? How does that happen in the middle of a stretch where you, you have to win every game? Okay, Victor Caratini is going to catch you, Darvish. And we know why, because even though Contreras has his unnecessary cat-like reflexes more under control than ever before, even though his uh, explosive energy, which is a distraction to some, is more under control than ever before, Darvish would rather pitch to Caratini. Okay, I'm good with that. When Darvish comes out, Contreras needs to come in. It's on fire. No Zobrist and no Contreras. Now, I know that Zobrist is not usually going to start against your lefties. Okay, the problem is leading off Albert Almora should not have been an option. It shouldn't be an option anymore. It it just doesn't make a lick of sense anymore. My goodness. There are issues in every direction right now for this team. And the lead dwindles for that second wild card, as I mentioned. Things are tightening up. But they still have, they still have seven with the Cardinals of their final ten. And they will still have the opportunity, very possible, to take the division from the Cardinals by then. How many games do you need it to be? How close do you need to be leading into those final 10 games when you've got seven with the Cardinals? Is four too many to be behind? Yeah, I think so. Is two too many? No. You could make up two. Hell, last year the Brewers were five games back of the Cubs on the 1st of September, I do believe. They made that one up. All right, well, they can do it. One idea, trade for Christian Yelich. Yeah, it's a little bleak. It's a little bleak right now uh, at the moment. That was a very tough loss. Um, Is that the worst loss of the season? Oh, boy. The many, many losses that we could pile up there on that particular list. Here's what's going on today on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Later on in this hour, my guy Chris Kampka will join us with Cam Connections, baseball nuggets from the Sultan of Stat of NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, In the 10 o'clock hour, one of my favorite baseball and music hybrid humans, Dave Max Crawford, who has not two but three of the coolest jobs in this city. Uh, Max will be here to talk about uh, an aspect of Wrigley Field that you probably haven't thought about in detail. That is his purview, among other things. 
Um, in the 11 o'clock hour, we are going to talk to Matt LaCour. Who's Matt LaCour? Matt LaCour is the athletic director at Harvard Westlake High School in suburban Los Angeles. A few years ago, he was the baseball coach at Harvard Westlake High School in suburban Los Angeles. And three of his pitchers were Lucas Giolito, Jack Flaherty, and Max Freed. Been wanting to talk to him. And it turns out today is the day. So we'll talk to uh, the high school coach for Giolito, Freed, and Flaherty in the 11 o'clock hour. And Eno Saris from The Athletic will join us as well in the 11 o'clock hour. He wrote something really interesting about player development and about what we may or may not know as a collective uh, that is leading towards player development issues all around the game of baseball. And your phone calls are not just welcome, but elemental to the very completion of the broadcast. 312-644-6767. So many problems, right? I, you know what I can't get out of my head? And it's not the stat of contact rate and how the Cubs are 30th in baseball. Although I really can't get that one out of my head either. And how it's uh, the second lowest of any ball club in the last 20 years in baseball. I can't get that one out of my head, but that's not why you called. Here's what I can't get out of my head is the moment on Thursday, as I was logged on to Twitter, I'll tell you, it was about 3.10 p.m. Central Time. And the lineup flashed into my timeline from the Cubs. And you remember what that lineup was? Uh, the lineup was Zobrist, Castellanos, Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, Schwarber, Contreras, Hayward. And then who was pitching? Was it Quintana? But if I'm saying it to you right, anyway, it was, uh, so maybe it was Rizzo third and Bryant fourth and then Schwarber fifth. I, I don't know. I remember looking down and saying, oh my God, it's lefty, righty, lefty, righty, lefty, righty, lefty, righty. It is everybody. It is the full strength, the full onslaught. And maybe it wasn't fully even lefty, righty, because you had Baez and Contreras. But look, you had Zobrist back and Contreras back, and you'd seen them on Tuesday already in an impactful game. They were both very important. You had Castellanos in there. He'd never played with Zobrist. You had never seen Zobrist Castellanos 1-2. You had, you had Baez back. You had Hayward down in the eight hole. You had Schwarber, Baez, and Contreras beyond the cleanup spot. Five, six, seven. Are those guys? And I, I, I looked at it and I said, oh my God, there it is. There's the lineup. They could do this. It's what I thought to myself. Three weeks left. All right, here we go. That's the lineup. They could do this. And then you know what happened? Within the next hour and a half, maybe two hours, it was announced that Craig Kimbrell was going to the injured list for the second time. And Javier Baez was a late scratch because he went and took batting practice and felt some pain in his thumb. Addison Russell subbed for him in the lineup tonight. They still scored a big pile of runs, still scored 10 runs. Offense looked great. Chase Anderson, after that game, oh, that's who it was against Chase Anderson. He said, boy, they're different than what they used to be. And Zobrist really changes things for them. And it's absolutely true that he does. Zobrist, is, his value has been completely obvious over the past week. If you were one of those people saying, how does one guy change everything? He does. He does. But that lineup never happened. And over that next two hours, when Kimbrell hits the injured list again, and Baez is a late scratch and probably will not play again the rest of the regular season, Javier Baez, is when things fell apart for the final time. In a full calendar year, 
uh, where everything was supposed to feel urgent and supposed to feel intense. It it finally has reached the point where you better not lose a single game. You can't lose a game anymore. You can't just chalk that up to, oh, well, that happened. Yelich got you. And so it goes. And you move on. You can't do that anymore. Every game is 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 sacred. Every game. But that moment when the lineup was there and it was announced was a theoretical moment. And to me, it stands as the theoretical moment that maybe all of us have had. I know I have had. In my head, several times along the way, when I have said the following sentence, you know, I still believe they are the best team in the division. How many times have I said that? My God. It felt a little bit like a rationalization when I picked them to win the division in March, to be honest. I looked at him. I said, man, look at that lineup. Look at at that talent. They still are the best team in the division. Well, here we are. They're three and a half back. They're not the best team in the division. They have all sorts of problems and blights and issues and and an unfortunate construction as an offense, unfortunate um, construction as a bullpen that has since been, for the most part, salvaged. But now with Kimbrell out, and let's face it, he did have a five six eight ERA even with the Cubs, even as it is. But now you have a manager who must be perfect. To make things work in that bullpen, he must be absolutely perfect. And Joe has not been perfect. I guess he liked David Phelps to pitch to Yasmani Grandal. Um, but I don't get it. When you've got Kinsler and Wick available and rested and ready to go, those are your two most trusted, even or ahead, bullpen arms. Period. Right now. Right now, they They are. With no Kimbrell. Those are your guys. You want to close with Wick? Okay. Then use Kinsler to start the eighth. I mean, you like Kinsler against lefties anyway. I I guess you like Phelps against lefties, but, I mean, come on. And then, you know, we can dissect the decision to pitch to Christian Yelich, who basically is Barry Bonds right now. Um, We can can discuss the way that Kinsler pitched Yelich. Because I thought he was brilliant to him, at least for the first two pitches. Perfectly faced pl- fastballs, perfectly placed fastballs. And if you look at like the pitching chart, all those pitches from from Kinsler to Yelich were oh my god, were either just on the outside of the strike zone or that one in the dirt. Yelich is just the goods right now. So maybe you don't want to pitch to him at all. I get that. I didn't have a problem actually overall pitching to him as long as you did what Kinsler was appearing to do. And, and put it away, put it far away from him. But either way, how that is not Kinsler and Wick to finish, maybe with Holland mixed in if you really want to, but I, to, to, it's insane. Phelps was the only guy warming up in the top of the eighth as the Cubs were rallying. And they took the lead, and Phelps was still the only guy warming up. And I'm like, what, what are we doing? Okay, the situation has changed. You have a lead now. And oh, by the way, if you want to point to the offense in that eighth inning with the bases loaded and nobody out, and all they do is scratch across one run on a bases loaded walk by Anthony Rizzo, if you want to just start right there and say, Spiegel, forget your bullpen stuff, score more runs and take advantage of that opportunity, I hear you. You know who, uh, you know who failed in that inning? Chris Bryant. With one out and the bases loaded, it's a pop-up. It's a useless out from Chris Bryant. 
against a very good pitcher. Josh Hader's awfully good. He's got Anthony Rizzo perhaps in his head a little bit after a legendary home run from Rizzo. But uh tell you, there's a lot of things that went on that felt like uh, they were emblems of what the entire season's frustration has been. And now the season is hanging by thread. You can't afford to lose a single game the rest of the way. Good luck. That's, that should be fine, right? Yeah, we're done. We're done with the long-term good feelings. We're long, done with the, the long-form rationalization of a 162-game season. We're done talking about baseball time. And how you just got to relax, stay calm. No, we're done. Urgency was supposed to have been what you displayed from the get-go. It wasn't. And now you have urgency foisted upon you by the way the Cardinals are playing and the way that several teams are hot on your heels for the second wild card that you are right now barely holding on to. And big-picture decisions loom. The reckoning looms in the offseason, doesn't it? My goodness. 670, the score is where you are. Hit and run is what you're listening to. I am Matt Spiegel. I'm here with you up until Cubs pregame at 1235 or so. Dylan Cease goes for the White Sox later on against the Angels. John Lester for the Cubs against the Brewers. And that's all there is today. That's all that this sports day uh, has to offer because it's uh, still baseball season. At least right here it is on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Hang tight, and we will be right back and take your phone calls and your texts and your emails and more right here on The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back in on 670 The Score. Texters getting in at 67011. Cubs players are valued by Chicago fans and media a notch higher than their reality. If you classify players as average, good, very good, great. Rizzo, Bryant, Baez are very good. Not great when he goes on to talk about a lot. But, you know, it's just, it, it, it's, it's, things have not progressed the way that anybody thought. And they have not progressed the way that Jed Hoyer thought. We're going to play some of Jed Hoyer's comments for you from earlier in the week later on because it's about the offense. And the offense is, is what needs a lot of conversation. It's what, frankly, needed a lot of conversation, a lot of activity last offseason. And it didn't happen. It's, it's meriting a, a lot more conversation, and it will merit more activity than it actually got last offseason. That's for sure. Uh, guys on Twitter and girls on Twitter getting at me as well, and appreciate that as a lot of folks, a lot of folks are upset with the myriad things that Joe Madden did. Uh, Madden mixing and matching, you know, lineups and, and certain pitchers while Council is using his guys. I mean, he goes to Pomerantz. It was interesting to watch the beginning of the eighth inning. He goes to Junior Guerra 
Um, and he th- he said afterwards that Guerra was going to be in charge of the eighth, and then Hader the ninth, and maybe the tenth in a tie game. Knew he had Hader for two innings, and then Guerra um, walks the leadoff man in Caratini. So then he goes to Pomerantz, who gives up a single to Zobrist and a terrific at bat, and then another walk, and then he decides to go to Hader right there. Screw it. Nobody out. I got to minimize the damage as much as possible. Hader gives up only the one run, is able to go the final two full innings. He said after the game that he would have used Hader for seven outs if he needed to. You know, that more than two innings if he needed to. Because You know why? Because it's an important game. More important for the Brewers than the Cubs? Sure, they were trailing. But awfully important for the Cubs, too. How you allow yourself to have a game tied with David Phelps on the mound in a moment like that, when you've got Kinsler and Wick rested and available, is is just, it's insane to me. Insane. Let's go to the phone lines. It's hit and run here on 670 The Score. John is in Round Lake and is now on The Score. What do you say, John? What's going on? Hey, hey there, Matt. You know, <clears throat> maybe this is bad for me as a fan, but after last, after last night's game, I threw up the white flag. There's just too much that seems like it's going against this team and you know when you have those years where it feels special and there's magic and the ball is bouncing your way I mean everything feels the complete opposite here this year there's like no breaks there's injuries I mean you kind of said it there in your uh intro Brian had bases loaded last night and and he pops up and then you see the frustration in him and the hitting seems like it's all in a funk. I mean, I just, the whole year just, it, it, they're just too much. I mean, of course, I'll watch it kind of play itself out. But as a fan, after last night's loss, it, they just don't have it this year. We just got to go back to the drawing board and figure out what is it going to take to win baseball games on a consistent level and what are the right players that are going to make up this team going forward. And I'm not saying blow this team up, but I'm just saying we just need to figure things out as uh, management. Theo needs to see that some of these guys are just not coming through. They're not, John. They're not exactly – they're not anywhere close to what they dreamed these guys would be. And they've said as much. They know it. And uh, and now value for some of them is just non-existent. Anybody want Addison Russell? No. You know, I, I, I appreciated and have talked about it many times the humanity with which they dealt with the Russell situation. And I'm not bringing it back up to litigate, okay? We've talked about it. The humanity in terms of, like, you know, trying to make him be a better person, a better father, uh, if you're going to hold on to an asset, you know, at least try to actually work with him on a human level. Okay. But the baseball decision to stick with Addison Russell as an asset not just this past offseason, but over the past couple years, instead of possibly trading him when value was there, the decision to stick with him is really looks really, really bad. I know he had a home run last night, but that's the offense you get from Addison Russell is every once in a while he'll run into one that he can drive. He does not have a good plan at the plate, and that has been obvious since the entirety of 2017. I remember standing there in the press box and talking with a few people as we watched him. It's like, what is he doing at the plate? What is he doing all year? What is he doing all year? All year. The lack. Talk about it, a guy who doesn't have an organized strike zone or an organized plan. My goodness, Addison Russell. And then defensively, I know you've been playing second base, and it's a different kind of throw there at shortstop. 
But to still have the kind of balance issues that lead to an errant throw three games in a row here in September as you're playing shortstop, crucial games of consequence, and you make three throwing errors in a row, and it's an issue we've seen before. All the stuff earlier in the year about not knowing the signs and reading the signs and then the way he has talked about that. And boy, it's just, it's, it's, I clearly, they made some mistakes along the way in evaluating their own guys and deciding which ones to hold on to, right? Deciding which ones to trade. Could they have gotten Wade Davis for Addison Russell straight up the way they got Wade Davis for Jorge Soler straight up after the 2016 season, December? Absolutely. 100%. Would that have been hard to pull the trigger on because Addison Russell's coming off a 2016 All-Star season in which he was huge in the playoffs? Yes. That would have been hard. It would have been hard to do. That's a difficult bullet to bite at that point. I get it. But along the way during the 2017 season, and certainly after the 2017 season, I think you knew. I, I felt like we knew. Irish Bill is on the northwest side. Is this the Irish Bill? Longtime guy. Yeah, man. How you doing, buddy? Great uh, haircut. It's a beautiful haircut you got there, buddy. Irishman, I feel like I hear from you once a year, and it's when things are ready to well, be mailed you know, in. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, getting on the Amtrak train, heading up to Milwaukee in about an hour's time, taking Amtrak up to see the game today. But, you know, Matt, listen, every 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 time they're 2-0, they, 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 especially the light hitters, El, Elmora, I don't know what Elmora's hitting. For, for, the, for the year, he's hitting probably 230, 240. But when the, when he's two oh three one, he's got to be hitting less than two hundred because he refuses to take pitches. And I mean, you're supposed to mash at two oh three one. Yeah. And I mean, last night, first pitch of the game is a ball. Next pitch, swings, flies out, routine fly ball. And when they're on the road, I don't know what the story is, but they can't generate any runs on the road in the first inning. It's like every road game, the first inning. It's twelve pitches, three outs, goodbye, and let you know. Let's go play defense. And I don't know what's the story with the. I mean, last year when they fired Chili Davis, we were told they're going to this guy, and he knows all the hitters from the minor leagues. Yeah, and yet it's the same story. They, were, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I, I mean, I, it is completely frustrating. I mean, the eighth inning, bases loaded, Rizzo gets the great walk. Bryant nearly gets hit on the pitch, the first pitch of the at-bat. I mean, if he stands there, he gets hit, it's 3-1. to one. But instead, he swings, hits it off his foot, mm-hmm. then he pops up. And then Bodie, of course, takes one, swings at one, takes a ball, and then looks at one right down the middle. Yeah. And, and, and it's just completely insane. I'll, t- I'll tell you what it is in terms of the offense, Irishman. Thank you for the call. They've got a lot of the same kind of guys. Okay, they don't now when Castellanos plays and when Zobrist plays. You see different kinds of hitters, guys who hit the high fastball, guys who are not uh, launch angle driven, guys who are line drive hitters and, uh, and will grind away counts. They've got a lot of guys who are the same kind of hitters and they can be attacked in similar kinds of ways. And in terms of Chili Davis to Iapozzi, Anthony Iapozzi and... Um, John Maley, uh before that, and and whoever it's going to be next year, if they make another change, 
They are trying to teach those guys to get the nuanced message across to be better situationally, even though you are launch angle driven and trying to hit the ball out of the park. And it's just, it's really, really hard to adjust for people, for hitters like that. It's really hard. When when you are a uh, a fly ball guy to then adjust and get on top of the baseball in certain situations, I remember a conversation with Ron Coomer about Schwarber when people would want Schwarber to all of a sudden with two strikes turn into Anthony Rizzo, turn into that guy, and and it's just it's very difficult. Now Schwarber's had a great run of late where maybe he's one of the guys, he's one of the the mashers that is is learning to adjust and be more of a hitter as well as a masher and. That could be a wonderful development because you need more guys like that. But for the most part, they've got a lot of the same kind of hitter who just has not learned to uh, expand the repertoire and is too easily attacked. Contact rate, baby. It is low, 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 low. Let's go to Bill in Lombard on 670 The Score. Bill, you're on Hit and Run. Good morning. What's happening? Hey, Bill. Oh, yeah, it's um, my job to press the button, not yours, Zach. I got it. Hi, Bill. Sorry, go ahead. Hey, Bill, turn off the radio and talk at me. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Sorry about that. It's okay. Um, yeah, I just wanted to call with respect to uh, last night's game. Um, despite the you know the failure by Phelps, I really think the game was lost by the offense in the eighth inning. Um, you know, when the pitching staff only gives up two earned runs in nine innings, I really can't blame them. Um and I wanted to mention about this race coming down the down the stretch here. I really uh, kind of a bold prediction. I think you're going to see three teams out of the NL Central in the playoffs. If you look at the schedules down the stretch here, hmm. Milwaukee only has four games with teams over 500. The Cubs have eight. St. Louis has 16 games with teams over 500. And if you look at the East teams, the Nationals' schedule is brutal. I don't think they're going to make it. Oh, I don't. Ag- I, I don't agree with you. The Nationals are too good, man. They, they've the, the Nationals are a very, very good team now. Finally, playing like a very good team. They fortified the bullpen, which is still their weakness. That lineup is outrageous. I don't agree with you on the Nats. Um, and, and if we look at schedules, you know who's got the cushiest schedule of any of the wild card contenders is Arizona. And they're absolutely on fire now, a game and a half back of the Cubs. Arizona's schedule is is cake. Um, so I appreciate the call, Bill. I, I just I, I, I disagree. Um, the question is whether, <laughs> oh, my God, can the Cubs hold on and, 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 and make the wild card? I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up because they've got those seven. They've got those seven with the Cardinals at the end. They've got fate in their hands. But I told you, I can't get out of my head that moment on Thursday afternoon when the lineup, the full-on lineup, presented itself and it was there for all to see. It was there to dream about. And within an hour and a half, not only was Kimbrell on the injured list, but you also had Baez realizing his hand hurt during batting practice. And you never saw the lineup. It never, it never actually showed itself. Boy. Uh, so I, I just—it's hard to imagine the offense getting enough. The, these these guys need to play as many days as humanly possible. Contreras needs to play as many days as possible. We know he's going to play today against Leicester, but to have no at bats for Contreras the last two days after he goes six for eight in his first two games back, to me is just 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 crazy. Let's go. Uh, 
Let's go to Dwayne in Lombard on 670 The Score. Dwayne, I'm big in Lombard this morning. How, how are you? I know. How are you guys? Good. <laughs> I got a couple questions. If the Cubs don't make it, who do you see them getting rid of the most? And do you think Castellanos could possibly be going to the south side if the Cubs don't sign him? Uh, I, I don't know what Castellanos wants to do with his baseball life. He is getting his first taste of playing for a good team um, in an electric situation at Wrigley, and he has been absolutely destroying the ball. And I'm sure he'd like to be part of a good atmosphere and a good team with a window to win it right now. That much you know is going to be personally important to him. He is a Scott Boris client. So does Scott Boris direct him to the person who offers the most dollars? Castellanos is a deeper guy than I had realized, and I think is going to be a guy that makes a choice based on some comfort, some some happiness, some excitement for the game. Um, and for me, frankly, I assume that he is smitten with the Cubs and the Wrigley experience. Look how everything is gone. And if they offer him something that makes sense, I think he could very well be a Cub. And, and I, if I were the Cubs, I would very much try to prioritize re-signing him, even at the expense of one of those free agents-to-be in two years. Especially if you're going to deal one of those guys, if you're going to consider dealing Chris Bryant, if you're going to consider dealing Wilson Contreras this particular offseason as you try to reshape your roster, Castellanos is not a guy I want to let go away because he's different. He's different than what you have. He is a top of the order. He's a legit top of the order hitter who can hit line drives all over the ballpark. It, he's and he'll, he'll he'll have a few home runs, often the opposite way, but he's not just a slugger. He's a hitter. And uh, it, to, to me, you need. He is exactly the kind of change of pace bat and very solid bat that you have needed in this lineup since last October. And now you found him. So if you've got a chance, offer it. If I'm the White Sox, hell yes, I'm interested. I mean, just about every team in baseball will be interested. White Sox offseason and free agency is going to be really fascinating to watch. So many pitchers uh, of interest out there, and you're going to have to go deeper than Garrett Cole. So you will get to some. You'll get to Wade Miley. You'll get to Dallas Keuchel. You'll get to Madison Bumgarner. Am I crazy, or does Madison Bumgarner um, have all the earmarks of being the White Sox version of John Lester? Now, I, I don't know if Bumgarner is going to be as good for the next three, four years as Lester was for his first three, four years as a Cub. But in terms of uh, toughness, in terms of playoff pedigree, showing guys how to win, and Bumgarner has a serious red ass in a way that Lester does, and maybe even worse. Now, of course, Bumgarner can hit. Maybe he wants to hit and he'll stay in the National League. But there's something very attractive to me about adding Madison Bumgarner to the White Sox rotation if he has enough stuff in your mind to last for at least a few years. And I don't think you'll need to give him six years or anything like that. Let's squeeze in one more phone call before we take a break. This is Jim in Woodstock on the score. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Pat, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for taking my call. Of course. So here's my general observation. You know, I, like millions of Cubs fans prior to 2016, said just one before I die, and I will be grateful. I was, and I still am. I was so grateful that I went out and I got a Cubs logo tattoo on my left shoulder. So they will always be with me. But what makes me so scared about this team and really frustrated about 
this team, particularly the core group of players, and I'm going to throw Madden in, in there as the manager, but I'm also calling out Contreras, Baez, Bryant, and Rizzo as the core group of players. I fear that they will be remembered in this town as the baseball equivalent of the 85 Bears because they are on their way to wasting so much talent. And, and you know, maybe the talent wasn't there, or at least it hasn't developed the way we expected. But that's my fear that we'll just, you know, 30 years down the line, there will not be another world championship on the north side. And we're going to look back on these guys and say, hey, that's great. You know, come on back 35 years later. You're, you're essentially the 85 Bears. Thanks for the call, Jim. Um, you're not the first to have that thought and that fear. You are projecting 26 years into the future and the lack of uh, a World Series title. I, I, don't, uh, I don't think it's something you can project that far. But in terms of this core... Yeah, they need to win one more, right? And it's amazing, but this is the way, this is the price of doing business. This is what you have become as a big market behemoth. Um, and the standard that you have set is that if you don't win two World Series in this window, it will be looked at by some as a failure. Absolutely. And, and I get it. And as you look back on the 85 Bears, it is both. It is both the brightest shining moment of Bears history over the last 40 years, at least going back to 1963, so last 56 years. It is both the brightest shining moment and an emblem of failed expectations because they should have won another one or at least got to another one, right? Yeah, this Cubs thing has a, it's got a chance to feel that way. I'll say this, I think baseball's harder. <laughs> I think it's harder. I think it is more dependent on a collective and things really are really going uh, well for a lot of people and building a, a full-on crafted team. We could argue about that sometime, whether it's harder to build a winner in football or in baseball. But, but you know, it's, it's a challenge. It is a big challenge for some incredibly smart people. And the reckoning, I think, is upon us. No matter what happens here the rest of the way, I think the reckoning is going to be upon us. All right, it's the score. It is me, Matt Spiegel, here with you. We will come back and talk to my guy, Chris Kampka, with Camp Connections, coming up next on 670 The Score. Welcome back in on 670 The Score. It is Matt Spiegel here with you, and time to talk to my guy, Chris Kampka, at C. Kampka. The Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago, who has joined us all year and given us gloriously interesting and unique details about the Cubs and the White Sox in the midst of the baseball season. What do you say, Chris? How are you? I'm pretty good, Matt. It's another Sunday in baseball land. Um, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. all. That's all that's going on. You know this. Um, it's it's well, a gr- it's a great sports day. Is. Yeah, it's a great sports day. Is. I can't wait for all the afternoon baseball. That's right. That, mm-hmm. That's the way I look at it. There you go. Um, you know, I uh, I meant to reach out to you during the week, but I'll, I'll I'll throw it at you here live on the air because that's how I roll. Um, I can't imagine that there's ever been three high school teammates who have ended up as good in a single season as Max Fried, Jack Flaherty, and Lucas Giolito. I can't imagine that it's even possible. That I don't even know if there's I, another group. Yeah, I, I certainly can't think of it. It's just an amazing story, and and just how good they've all been. Yeah, and you know Giolito keeps doing it, and Freed. I mean, I saw him last week in Atlanta. He looks fast, and then Flaherty is the one I've seen the least, but he's probably been the best <laughs> lately. Yeah. And it's just, it's just a tremendous story. I mean, I'm excited to hear, you know, who 
from your guests later on in the show, and because that's just, I mean, how does that happen? Yeah, I, I, we, well, we will talk to their uh, their high school coach a little bit later on in the eleven o'clock hour. But uh, but talk to me, Chris. Which side are we starting on? Well, let's start with the Cubs. Okay, and let's take a look at the carousel that is the Cubs bullpen. So, and it's not just this year. So let's take a look back at the Joe Madden era. Most pitchers in the majors with ten or more saves for a team during the Madden era, which is the last five seasons. The Cubs are tied with the Rangers for the most with seven. We've had, you know, Hector Rondon, Stroke, Wade Davis, Rose Chapman, Steve Ciszek, Brendan Morrow, Craig Kimball. Seven pitchers with ten or more saves over the last five seasons for the Cubs. Okay. Uh, and this year they had two. It's Kimball and Stroke. The thing is, both of them have an ERA over five. The Cubs have a pair of pitchers this season with 10-plus saves in an ERA over five. That's half of the pitchers in the majors this year with 10-plus saves in an ERA over five. Edwin Diaz and Blake Davis are the other two. And it's only the fifth time in Major League history, I mean, if it ends up this way and their ERAs remain over five, it would be the fifth time in Major League history teams had a pair of those pitchers, the last time being the Diamondbacks in 2010, J.C. Gutierrez and Chad Qualls. Wow. So, so you've got closers, and ERA is tricky, obviously, for bullpen guys, but here we're talking about at least 10 saves, so we know the sample is, is, is at least large enough to mean you're, you're talking about, you know, that double-digit uh, double appearances and, and probably more than, you know, more than 15, more than 20, and both of them with ERAs over five. Brutal. Yeah, and at least with closers, the ERA is probably a little more realistic than a middle reliever because they're usually getting the start in the beginning of the inning and not having all those inherited runners, having that mess everything up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just one of those interesting quirks. And that's yeah. uh, that's uh, the um, craziness of the Cubs' bullpen. What Joe Madden's had to do, mixing and matching, it's crazy when almost nothing works and you have to keep going. Yeah, he has he's had a tremendous amount of challenges. He's needed to be perfect, and obviously he's been far from perfect. Uh, blown saves in baseball. The Cubs uh, tied for fourth with 26 uh, blown saves. Um, and that's it's an impressive uh, list of teams with blown saves. A lot of people have bullpen issues. Dodgers are up there in the top ten because Kenley Jansen's been far from perfect. You know, So there's, yeah, there's a lot there. By the way, uh, the fewest pitchers with ten or more saves over that period is the Dodgers with one, and it is Kenley Jansen. Yeah. But, I mean, look at what the Dodgers have. They haven't been able to trust Jansen fully this year. 18 of his 54 appearances, he's allowed at least one run. So, mm-hmm. I mean, even if you have the stability of one guy, sooner or later, it's not quite as good as it used to be. Yeah, sooner or later, he's going to break down. Um, all right, flip sides for me. What you got, uh, what you got south? Chris? So, for the White Sox, we're looking at, something that we've only seen once in White Sox history. And with Tim Anderson's continued surge, he's up to 334 this year. He is leading the American League in batting average over D.J. LeMahieu. He's got a six-point cushion currently. Meanwhile, Jose Abreu quietly has pushed his way to the front of the American League in RBIs with 111. He has a four-RBI cushion over Rafael Devers. So the White Sox is a team have two legs of the triple crown so as if the season were to end today. It's only the second time in White Sox history that they would be able to do it if they go ahead and finish it off. 
Ooh. The only other time that the White Sox as a team have had two legs of a triple crown was oh. 1972 when Dick Allen did it by himself. Oh, wow. He had 37 homers and 113 RBIs. He finished third in the batting race that year, 308. So, man, I was, so, ho- I was hoping, I was hoping maybe, thinking maybe there was a Ventura Frank year in there, you know, something like that. But, uh, right. But, I mean, Frank had the last batting title for the White Sox, but I mean, Dick Allen's the only White Sox player to lead the league in RBI. And he did that in 1972 with 113. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, you figure Frank would be in the mix somewhere, but he wasn't. Dick Allen is the only White Sox player ever to lead the league in RBI? Yeah, 113 in 1972. He, wow. That was an incredible year. I and mean, if you look at the, the era of baseball, it wasn't the most offensive era. So if you look at his numbers, they're even more impressive when you put him in a league context. It's quite something that uh, that Abreu has just just kept on going. His consistency in every single year of that contract is pretty staggering, really. He is, and I think you know we really have to appreciate what he's been able to do, especially with a team that's been mostly under five hundred. Certainly not due to Jose Abreu. The guy has come and hit every single year of that contract, which is still the largest contract in White Sox history. But at that, it has paid off, and it has been a very good investment for the White Sox. I'll say this about RBI, too. Um, I have been involved in a lot of the conversations in minimizing the importance of RBI because it is a, a stat that is dependent on opportunity and teammates and, and, and all sorts of stuff like that. But watching Jose Abreu with men on base, he he adjusts. He's a very, very smart and capable situational hitter. So it's it should not be a surprise that his RBI numbers have been as consistent as they have been. In a way, though, this year it's been a surprise to me in this respect, the fact that the White Sox are always at the bottom of the league in walks, and they have a, a pretty low on base percentage. For him to lead the league in RBI is pretty impressive, considering the White Sox don't get the most base runners. Yeah, no, this is true. Uh, you know, th- there'll be time in the next uh, couple of weeks, Chris, before we wrap up on Hit and Run to really think about what a batting title means these days. I mean, some very impressive players have won batting titles in recent years, but also some guys who are like, what, he won a batting title? But for Tim Anderson to be up at, at 334 right now, um, maybe the cleanest way to say it is that's a big part of his 869 OPS, which is great. Well- and it's like well, the, the on-base percentage is only 354, and 334 of that is hitting. But, hey, the on-base percentage is 354. Right. And I think it's a big deal, especially for confidence level, him going forward still in the very beginning of his major league career. I mean, he gets that confidence level for the batting title. I mean, you know, who knows where that gets him going forward. Yeah. I mean, that's, and, and with that batting, uh, the on-base percentage not being the highest, well, if he can drive that on-base percentage with, with batting average, which he's capable of doing from watching the, the way he's really improved in his plate coverage. Um, I mean, you can deal with a 350 on base percentage uh, if, if he's getting that kind of you know, production. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Chris. Great stuff as always, yeah. man. We appreciate you. Thanks, Matt. You got it. That's Chris Kampka from NBC Sports Chicago. Yeah. Um, you want more than a 354 LBP atop your lineup. But, uh, you know, if the walks can grow just a little bit, this is this is a dude who who deserves a lot of praise and attention for what he's been doing down there in the South Side. All right, it's six seventy. The score. We got a lot to go still on hit and run. One of my favorite baseball and music hybrid humans joins us next hour. 
Um, but before that, I want you to hear Jed Hoyer talking about the offense as a collective and and tie it into the in a, in the exchanges that you've heard me and some of the callers have during the course of the first hour. It's hit and run. I'm Matt Spiegel here with you on 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 